Please be advised that the following contains strong language and themes that may not be suitable for all ages. Hello and thank you for taking the time to read the blog post and listen to the podcast. My name is Michael Driver and I'm a member of the collective here at the Free Writers Dungeon. I'd like to welcome you to Chapter 5 of my debut novel, King of the Block. If you'd like to purchase King of the Block and not have to wait so long for the next chapter, click the link in my profile. And if you'd like a sneak peek at the upcoming sequel, King of the Block 2, Rafe's Return, there's a link in my profile for that as well. With that, I invite you to sit back, relax, and enjoy. Michael Driver and the Free Writer's Dungeon present, King of the Block, Chapter 5. The room was dark. Duct tape wrapped too tightly was starting to dig into the skin around my wrists. I looked around, my stomach turning over as I realized where I was. Granny sat next to me in her rocking chair, crocheting a blanket. My baby blanket. She looked up at me and smiled, her smile still as warm and inviting as I remembered. My eyes got hot looking at her, tears beginning to form and I opened my mouth to speak, but no words came out. Frantically, I looked around, willing myself to wake up. This wasn't real. Granny's house didn't look like this anymore. I knew what it looked like. Granny wasn't here anymore. When I stopped panicking, I looked back at Granny's rocking chair, she was no longer in front of me. Instead, it was tall man from the video of my father. He was tossing his knife back and forth between his hands, grinning widely. I struggled against my restraints, earning myself nothing but pain in my wrists. Tall man just kept grinning, the knife still switching hands. I opened my mouth, intending to yell, but again nothing came out, not a sound. Tall man walked forward, the knife now clenched tightly in his right hand. He stopped when his face was inches away from mine. I jerked and bucked in the seat, trying to move my face from his. It was pointless. He watched me struggle, that manic grin never leaving his face. I stopped fighting against the duct tape and decided to stare him down, my mouth set in defiance. Tall man laughed in my face, a deep sound that filled my ears, and rattled inside my skull. In one swift motion he pulled off the ski mask. I recoiled in horror, resuming my struggling in the chair. My father's mutilated face grinned at me. With no warning his free hand shot out, and clamped around my neck. My father squeezed, until my vision was blurry, spots dancing in front of my eyes. Just when I was on the verge of passing out, he leaned in close to me. You fucked up, Rafe. This time for good. Pops gave one final cackle, then cocked his arm back, and drove the knife into my eye. I jumped out of the bed, my hands reaching into my waistband for a gun that wasn't there. The room was still dark, light not yet peeking through the curtains. My breaths came hard and fast, my eyes scanning the whole room for threats. That dream had me paranoid. I pulled the burner phone out of my pocket and checked the time. 7.35 AM it was early. Too early to be awake but I knew I wasn't going back to sleep. My nightmare was still fresh in my head, my father's disfigured head still floating in front of my eyes. I sat on the edge of the bed and closed my eyes tight, willing the visions to go away. I opened my eyes, my mind blank and the only thing in front of me the wall. My breathing quieted, and I welcomed the silence in the room. I listened to the rest of the house, and chuckled to myself when the faint sound of Charlie's snoring reached my ears. Stretching, I stood up, then dropped to the carpet, coming to rest in a push-up position. I counted to myself as I began, counting out loud while I turned over thoughts in my head. 10, 11, 12, 13. Biggs had put the million on my head. But this was Biggs and while he had bread, he didn't have bread to be putting out million dollar bounties. 25, 26, 27, 28. Whoever had killed Pops was financing Biggs. There was a chain of command, which meant a scumbag like Biggs was the lowest rung. 41, 42, 43, 44. 
It didn't make any sense. The system POPs had implemented had kept everybody fed. The agreement between families was that everybody stayed in their own territories. POPs had only been taking 15% off the top. 60, 61, 62, 63. There was a middleman. Somebody had to be sending a go-between, that had delivered the orders. If I could make Big squeal, I knew he would give up everything. One thing about Biggs, he only did what was best for himself. 97, 98, 99, 100. I stood up. The pain in my arms and chest was a welcome sensation. It gave me the focus and clarity I needed. Everything was crystal clear to me. There was a light knocking on my door. I opened it to find Charlie stretching. Charlie blinked once, twice then his eyes widened when he saw my face. Looks like you're ready to get down to business. I nodded, then grinned. Charlie grinned right back at me. That's what I'm talking about. Let's get to work. 30 minutes later, Charlie and I were both strapped. We had outfitted ourselves with two handguns each. In the trunk of the Honda we had stashed two AR-15s, and under the dashboard two Glock 9s. I had a knife strapped to the inside of my leg, and my SIG in my waistband. There had been spare suits in the closet in Charlie's room. I had selected a navy blue number, with a white shirt and black tie. Charlie chose his customary all-black ensemble with a white shirt. The sun was just beginning to rise, and the rest of the neighborhood was waking up as Charlie and I made our way to the Honda. The cover of darkness was gone, and I felt exposed with the light now starting to shine down. I didn't want to answer any questions, and I didn't want anyone to see my face. I slunk down into the back seat, keeping my head on a swivel, alert to everything I saw. When I was sure everything was clear I sat up straight. I checked the time on the burner. 8.30 AM perfect. Charlie started the car then turned around to look at me. You ready to do this my nigga? I nodded, my hand caressing the butt of my sig. Let's do this shit. Charlie nodded. I got your back Rafe. I looked at him, pausing to find the words I was looking for. When I had them, I spoke. Charlie, man, I, I'm sorry about how I reacted. You didn't deserve that. Charlie shrugged. I know you're hurting man. But we gun make this shit right. For your pops. Just make sure you save your energy for the motherfuckers who deserve it. Like Biggs. I nodded. Charlie was my best friend. I couldn't afford to lose him. Charlie turned around in his seat and we were off. We drove in silence, and I closed my eyes, willing myself to focus on my target. Joseph Biggs Kincaid was a former car thief turned chop shop owner. He had earned his nickname because he was infamous for saying one day, bet I do it big. So far, the only big thing he had done, was earning a reputation as the biggest piece of shit in Somerville. He owned three chop shops, one in K-Town, one in the borough, and one in the neutral territory. Biggs wasn't stupid. You don't keep betraying some of the most powerful bosses in the city without consequences. The solution to his problem had been to hire everyone who had betrayed their respective family. It was a case of mutually assured destruction. If they didn't protect Biggs, Biggs wouldn't protect them and vice versa. And while he owned chop shops, Biggs would also do jobs for whoever paid him the most. The first person he had ever sold out was his own brother, Daniel. That job had only been for $500. All of this bounced around my mind as Charlie stopped the car down the block from Biggs' chop shop in the borough. Charlie leaned over the steering wheel. He's got his usual two heavies stationed out front. What you want to do? I surveyed the street. The usual suspects were out and about, neighborhood kids up to no good, a few strayhos trying to make a buck, dope boys pushing whatever new pills or powder was hot at the moment. It was all typical shit for the borough. I leaned forward. Pull around to the alley behind the shop, where they do deliveries. Let's keep this quiet, no unnecessary casualties. Charlie nodded and then eased the car forward, taking his time turning the corner.
five of Big's crew were lounging around the shop, leaning against the shop wall, or the chain-link fence that ran the length of the alley behind the shop. They were the delivery crew, waiting for the next car. The Honda wasn't a scheduled delivery. Charlie parked the car, and turned it off. I waited for one of Big's crew to make a move first, screwing a suppressor onto the front of my SIG. Charlie did the same with his Glock, both of us holding our breath. Nobody moved for a while, the five of them staring at the Honda with quizzical expressions. My gun hand started to itch, sweat beginning to make my palm sticky. I was tempted to roll the window down and start firing. Fortunately I didn't have two. One of the crew had decided to investigate. His walk was slow, his head cocked to one side, a cigarette lazily drooping out of a corner of his mouth. As he drew closer his expression shifted from confusion, to wariness. He approached the driver's side door and knocked on the window lightly, his knuckles barely making contact. I tensed up, and crouched behind the driver's seat as Charlie rolled down the window. I picked this car up yesterday. Changed the plates. I heard this was the place to come if I wanted to make some bread for it. Charlie kept his tone even, his arms folded across his chest. You're not on the list but we'll see what we can do. Sweat had begun to leak out from under his hairline, and he smiled nervously. He swallowed hard, then motioned to Charlie. Pull it forward, and we'll check it out. Charlie rolled the window up and proceeded to move the car, inching it slowly up the alley until he was stopped in front of the others. He parked the car and got out, displaying his hands for them to see. Rico, go around and check the backseat. The apparent leader of the group, who stood directly in front of the car with his arms folded, spoke, motioning to another man a few feet away from him. Rico nodded, and wiped dirty hands on the front of his shirt before making his way around the car to my door. I readied myself, slowing my breath so it was almost inaudible. Rico was inches away from the door. I counted to ten, lifting the sig to right about where Rico's head would be when he opened the door. The door clicked open. Rico poked his head through. I fired. Two bullets went straight through Rico's forehead and he fell back, his body coming to rest with a hard crunch on the pavement. Before any of the rest of the crew could process what was happening, Charlie had already drawn his Glock. He dispatched the leader and a third man with one shot apiece, straight through the heart. I came out of the car gun raised, and fired again, the bullet catching the fourth man that was attempting to run inside for reinforcements, spinning him around before he slammed into the side of the building and slid down until he was slumped over. The only one left was the nervous-looking one who had approached the car first. He was on his knees, hands raised, begging for his life. Please, 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 don't kill me. Snot leaked out of his nose, mixing down his face with the tears he was crying. I walked over and put the barrel of my gun right against his forehead. Do you know who put out the hit on Don Cinco? I growled. Shock, then fear, then horror crawled across the man's face. He closed his eyes, and began mumbling a prayer. I leaned in close until I was next to his ear. God can't save you. I stepped back and pulled the trigger. The man fell back, his eyes wide open, mouth twisted into a scream cut short. I stared at the carnage with a sense of satisfaction. Charlie tapped my shoulder, then motioned to the trunk of the car. I nodded. Without a word we walked to the trunk, popped it and began checking our weapons. We had put a duffel bag full of extra magazines, bullets and suppressors in the trunk. I swapped out my SIG and my other two guns for extra clips, and screwed another suppressor onto my R. Charlie did the same. Charlie closed the trunk, and we silently crept forward, each of us taking position on either side of the shop's back door. I looked through the glass pane in the door, scoping out the situation. My eyes instantly zoomed in on Biggs. He wore a three-piece red suit, and had all of his jewelry on display. A cigar took up most of the space in his mouth, and his arms were crossed. A short, Hispanic man stood in front of him, gesticulating wildly. 
they were in the middle of negotiating a price. I ducked down under the pain. What we doing? Charlie wiped his forehead with the back of his hand and wiped it on his jacket. If we play it right, we can get straight to Biggs. I can't see any guards but I'm not ruling out that they're there. Charlie grunted then slowly eased the door open. That brings us to the end of chapter 5. I hope you enjoyed it, and if you did, again I recommend clicking the link in my profile to go and purchase King of the Block so you don't have to wait so long between blog posts and podcast episodes. With that, I leave you. Until next time, peace. Before you guys depart, one quick word from our host, Greg Diggs. Today marks the end of season 1 and I am thankful for our collective, our fans, our community, and the support we have received so far. Every moment of this journey feels unreal and I have you guys to thank for that. Even one view means the world to me. We are planning to kick off season 2 in January and there are a lot of things in store. So, if you haven't subscribed to our channel or newsletter on http colon slash slash www.freriterstungeon.wordpress.com, I highly suggest doing so to stay in the loop. You can also follow us on Twitter or the Wisdom app for live conversations. Overall, I hope you all have a wonderful day and stay safe. Thank you again and see you in January.